Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. If I sound a little off, I know a couple of weeks ago I had timing issues. This week, it's because daylight savings. Uh, can we end this practice, please? <laughs> I, I think this is the... This might genuinely be the only unifying thing in the American political system is nobody likes daylight saving. Um, I believe the current bit of legislation which could make its way to the president uh, would go would go into effect in November and would prevent us from going back to standard time. So we'd be where we are right now. I don't like that. I'd, I prefer the other way. Like, I'd rather right now it was, you know, 5.30 instead of 6.30. Because I like the extra hour of sleep. I'm a bit of a nocturnal creature. But really, as long as we stop the switching, I'll live with it. I'll live with it as long as we can just get some consistency here. Please stop this insanity. This is an antiquated practice. I mean, it was put into place like during World War One. Uh, stop, just stop. It's the worst. This is just the worst. The worst. Hate it. Anyway, with my little rant there out of the way, on the agenda this evening, last night you'll see an ESPN plus seventy nine. Uh, that happened. We'll have the thoughts and the breakdown. I will talk a little bit about Bellator, because they had Bellator 292, I want to say. And there's a couple of things worth talking about from that card. Then, of course, the big thing we're mostly here for, UFC 285. This coming Saturday, they will be back at the O2 in London. Pretty sure that's the venue. And we will get the trilogy fight between Kamaru Usman, the former UFC welterweight champion... And the new UFC welterweight champion, the man who head-kicked him into unconsciousness in the fifth round of their fight, Leon Edwards. Fifth round of their title fight. They are technically one and one. So, trilogy fight. And, you know, the whole preview of that card. Then, you know, news. Such as it is. There's not a lot of news that I've been able to find. So... Yeah, before we get into the show proper, please, if you can, like, comment, subscribe. That's always appreciated. Star rating, written review, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice. Interact with the product a little bit. It helps a lot. If every little bit helps, so thank you. If you've done any and all of that, a share is the best thing you can do after that. Let people know about the show if you think they'd enjoy it. If you think I would annoy them, uh, I don't care if I'm pointed at your enemies. I'm okay with that. If you're new to the show, I hope you were appointed here by a friend and not an enemy, but even if their intentions were bad, hopefully you can enjoy the show anyway. Because then you're the one who's winning. You've won the exchange. Right? They pointed you at something that they thought would annoy you, and it's actually be- and you're actually enjoying it, so you win. Either way. Alright, there's my... that stuff's out of the way. Let's get into it, shall we? UFC on ESPN plus 79. In the main event... Okay, sorry, this took place um, not at the Apex, because that had to be reserved for the Power Slap finale. 
which uh, I'm not going to be talking about, other than to say that's why they were at this venue. This was the theater at Virgin Hotels. Whatever. Uh, main event. Marab Dwalish Wheelie defeats Piotr Jan via unanimous decision, 50-45 across the boards. This... I didn't love the 50-45. Um, I thought Jan had the second round. Missed the one I scored for him. And there's an argument in... It's either three or four. I can't remember which one, forgive me. Um, there's an argument to be made for... I thought Jan won the second round, and there's an argument for him in one of the others. Not to win the fight. Okay, I'm not arguing that Jan won the fight. I made that argument when he fought uh, after, you know... I could make the argument for Sterling. I could. Um, I really thought it was the case with Sean O'Malley. I don't think it's the case here. Um... Dwalis really is... The, winning is the right call. That's fine. And I'm not sure I agree with 50-45, but... Eh. I'm not... I'm not fully up at arms over it. So, what happened? Um... Pretty much what a lot of people thought. Uh... Jan does best when he's able to measure and when he can dictate pace. Marab Dwalish really just... I mean, he set a new record for this fight. Most attempted takedowns in a five-round fight in UFC history. He had like 47 by the people who keep uh, track of that stuff. And he landed... He attempted, sorry, over 400 significant strikes. 400 significant strikes or total strikes? I don't know, would you count everything he did as significant? I don't know exactly how they differentiate between significant and not. Let me bring up the stats. Uh, we should have these. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, total strikes. Total strikes only, not significant. Total. Um, Marab attempted 338, uh, 401 total. Yeah, he attempted 401 total strikes. Over the course of the fight, he landed, he was, he's credited with landing 147. Significant. He threw 338 significant. Um, look. Here's the thing about Marab. He's not that great... Technically, he does a lot of stuff less than ideal, but he makes up for it with a dogged pursuit of the fight and maybe the most incredible motor you'll ever see. He's, he's a slightly less technical bantamweight version of Colby Covington. If you watch a Colby Covington fight, what is it? It's a lot of forward pressure, a lot of high pace, wrestling without a lot of control, high volume exchanges, and just outworking you for the most part. What's a Marab fight do? Same thing. They're very, uh, like, I know that Marab trains at you know, Sarah Longo and with Aljamain Sterling and whatnot, but if you want to understand Marab's game, not in every detail, but if you 
If you want more tape on the guy for some reason, because there's a lot, I say that not to be dismissive, but because there's a lot of it. Watch a Colby Covington fight or two, and you'll get another, you'll get a pretty good feel for Marab, too. Now, that's not a straight one-to-one comparison, but as a broad overview, I think it's very similar. And credit to Marab's gas tank, again, he gets around a lot of his technical issues by keeping you on the back foot, by not being afraid of what's coming back at him, and by just relentlessly pursuing the fight. I mean, the guy can fight like this for five rounds. That's a hard thing to beat. Not impossible, but it's very hard. Especially, it might be harder at bantamweight than in other weight classes. You know, what, what kind of deters Colby from fighting the way he wants to fight? Usually it's power coming back. It's a little bit mitigating his own gas tank. Like, it's regulating, not mitigating. Regulating properly. And Marab does that as well. Like you have to regulate it. And I'm not saying there's no bantamweights with power. It's a lot less... It's harder to find. It's harder to find serious power at bantamweight. And I'm not saying Jan is you know, some kind of pillow fist, but he's not the biggest one-hitter quitter in the world. That shouldn't be a controversial sentiment. Most bantamweights aren't. Uh, so he's a little bit freer to just kind of push forward. He's going to get hit. He got hit here. But he doesn't stop. And uh, I think it was Luke Thomas I heard say this. When you've got a motor like that, it levels the playing field, right? Look, again, if you go skill for skill, Jan's better than Marab pretty much everywhere. He's the better striker. Technically, he is. He's maybe the better... You could argue he's the better wrestler. I mean, for crying out loud. Again, Jan attempted you know, 47 takedowns or whatever it was. 49. And he only he was credited with completing 11 of them. If you're only completing 11 of 49, like I'm sorry, there's a very real argument to be made that the guy stopping you 80% of the time, give or take, is the better wrestler. Now, he stopped, in fairness, like, Dwalos really stopped 80% of Jan's takedowns. Jan attempted five. But, again, like, that's somewhat in dispute. Um, who's a better submission threat? I, I don't know. Rob's not exactly a you know, big submission threat. But... The point is, like, all the technical deficiencies don't really matter if you can just go. If you never have to stop, if you never have to really reset, if you never let your opponent bring their skills to bear because you just, you can keep going. Like, there's there's a rhythm to most fighting, not just MMA fighting, but boxing, kickboxing, whatever. Most of it has a rhythm. There's a give and take. And there's a lot of ways to mess with that. But watch. like, Here's a funny little thing to watch. 
Um, watch whoever is going forward. Watch what happens when they finally land a combination. They stop most of the time. They go back and the other guy comes forward. Why? Because you kind of build some of these rhythms and patterns in when you spar. And if you're sparring like you're fighting all the time, you're doing it wrong. A lot of sparring is rhythm-based. A lot of sparring you know, drills and what, or how you warm up. Like, you build these rhythms into things. You go tit for tat. You throw a few things. The other guy throws a few things. You, you know, Stuff like that. And you wind up building a lot of that into how you fight because this is what you do all the time. Or you do a lot of the time. So you see a lot of fighters who do that. They can be winning the majority of the fight, even all of it. They go forward. As soon as they actually get something off that they feel kind of good about, they back off and reset. And then the other guy comes forward because somewhere in the physical and mental processes of this, oh, my turn now is what happens. And you get a lot of that taking turns. Again, not always, but a lot. The f And some of this, again, some of this is also energy conservation. You don't want to undo yourself. Well, if you don't need to reset, if you don't need to take breaks, if all you can, if all you need to do is go forward, seek the fight, be dogged, be talented. And I mean, this sounds like I'm just saying that Dwalus really has nothing other than cardio, and that's that's a very big misread. Like that, that's, sorry, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you had to make him fight with just his skills in isolation, he's not where he is. Because that's not what his skills are. But because he fights in a medium that allows him to maximize what he has going for him maybe the best, which is this insane conditioning, it doesn't really matter that his strikes aren't great. Because he's throwing 400 of them at your face. It doesn't really matter that his takedowns lead to very little control. Because he's throwing, again, several of them at you. And you have to deal with that. The value of being on the front foot, of having the initiative in combat, is tremendous. And if you never relinquish it, if you never have to give it up, because you're not worried about your cardio, and you're not... You got a good enough chin, and you've got your opponent just not quite knowing what to do. You touch upstairs, you drop for a takedown. Like, if you can just do that at this pace for five rounds, you don't need to be great. You don't need to be great at the individual components. You don't even need to be great at blending them together in the purest sense of that phrase. You can just keep going until your opponent can't anymore. Like, the way Jan fights and the value in how he fights is not that he's better than you. It's that he, when you stop being able to go, he's still going. And he has to overcome adversity frequently. Like, he gets hit. He got hurt bad. Like, you could argue that fight with Marlon Moraes should have been stopped in favor of Moraes. That's a real argument you could make, and I don't disagree with it. But... It wasn't. And he came back and he rallied, and, you know, kudos to him. Like, that, that, that's a discussion about, like, what referees allow to happen more than anything else. But he's got over... He does have to overcome adversity. 
But if he can, if what you do isn't enough to really get him out of there, like you're never going to deter him. Right? You're not really going to get him to back up. I mean, there were minimal times when Jose Aldo got him to back up. I mean, he couldn't get Aldo down at all, but he got him against the fence. And that's a pretty ridiculously powerful weapon if you can bring it to bear. It takes away so much of what the other guy does. And that's kind of how this played out. I mean, man, did Marab land anything devastating? No. Did he have gobs of control time? Not really. Did he hit thunderous takedowns? No. You ever get really dominant position? Eh, not really. But who did stuff? Just as a general rule, like... Again, I'm not saying Jan did nothing. In fact, again, I think there's a couple of rounds you could argue for him. I don't think you can argue three for Jan. Like, he just... His activity and his efficacy dropped off in the wrong places. So... That's where we are. Um, Marab says he won't fight Aljamain Sterling. They're teammates, and they're very close. And if that's your call, buddy, that's your call. But um, uh, I mean, him saying that it did kind of annoy Dana White because eh, Dana doesn't like fighters that have agency or that exercise agency. Um, again, that's his call. Um, if he's if he's content never fighting for the belt while Aljamain Sterling holds it, then, you know, I'm not here to rain on the guy's parade or how he chooses to live his life. Uh, and, you know, Sterling's been making noise about moving up. I don't know how much success he finds at featherweight. I'm not saying none. I'm saying I don't know how much, but... And then, again, that, you know... If Henry Cejudo beats Aljamain Sterling, then this whole thing goes up in the air anyway, so who knows? And Cejudo might beat Sterling. That's not at all outside the realm of possibility. I think I favor Sterling, but... You know, again, it's... That's not a, like, that's not a gimme fight for Sterling. Uh, as for Jan, that's three losses in a row... Um, people have just kind of figured him out, I think. I'm not saying he's going to go on a big, you know, a longer losing streak and that he's never going to win again, but at this point, I think there's enough tape on him and enough people have kind of figured out some of what he does and how he likes to fight that they're starting to figure him out a little bit. Now, that doesn't mean he can't, you know, adjust a few things, make a comeback. He's still a very good fighter. But he's at the point when you do have to you have to kind of take a look in the mirror here a little bit and go, "All right, why are things here? Like what can I do to fix what's going on?" You know, how much of what you could if you want to say that, you know, the judges screwed him in the Sean O'Malley fight. Not saying you're wrong, I scored that... I think I gave him all three rounds, in all honesty. One of those I'm not as sure about on, re rink, uh, like on rewatch, but... I, I do think he should have won that fight. However, if all you take away from that is the judges screwed me, you're never really going to fix the problems. 
you need to seriously look at the issues. Look at what you can do to fix them. And you have to do everything you can. And that's kind of where Jan is. He's got he's to figure out, okay, you know, what's going on here and how can I fix it? Uh, because three in a row is bad. It's just bad. It's all there is to it. It's not a good spot to be in. Uh, all right. Co-main event. Alexander Volkov done ran over the Alexander Romanov. TKO, punches from back mount, 216 of the first. Uh, with the... Let me make the following statement with the understanding that my physique is nothing to write home about. But Alexander Romanov came into this fight looking like a bag of milk. I mean... He got into pretty good shape for his previous fight when he, um, the fight with Marcin Tabora, when he gassed out, uh, again, that fight probably should have been a draw. Like, the, I think two of the judges didn't give Romanov a 10-8 first, and that, eh, don't know about that one, guys. But he got down to, you know, 240, I think, like right around that area. He was in the 240s. He was at 264 for this one. I mean, just... And I'm not saying the man couldn't smash me into the ground. He would beat the crap out of me if we fought. Like I'm not being a tough guy here. And again, I'm not saying that I'm built like Adonis. Not at all. But Romanov came in looking like he... Physique is not everything, right? especially at heavyweight. Say this. You know, not everyone looks the same at heavyweight, not everyone looks the same at any weight, but heavyweight especially. Physique is not nearly an indicator there as it is in other weight classes. But he looked like he did not seriously train for this. And it kind of showed in the cage. He came out like he always does, tried real hard to get a takedown, and Volkov fought him off. And kicked him in the body, and he didn't like that. And once he couldn't get the takedown, Romanov had no idea what to do. Volkov just backed him up, punched him up, got him down, beat the crap out of him on the ground. Um, Romanov, I don't think he liked the body work, and it wasn't much of it. But sometimes you, it only takes one. Sometimes you take a bad shot to the body, and you're just like, okay, I'm done. And I don't mean like you collapsed him, but like, oh, Boy, like, this ain't good. Been on the wrong end of that one once or twice. Uh, and, yeah, it, it's a bad spot for Romanov, man. Coming off of that first loss, how you rebound from that is kind of important. And between not liking the body work and having no plan B, like, he fought real hard for that first takedown. He couldn't get it. And then he had nothing. That's a bad place to be in your skill set. If That's just not a good place to be. So Volkov, he wants to still be active and still be a relevant heavyweight, and I think he is. Uh, he's fought a lot of that division at this point. Not all of it, but he's fought a lot of it. So good win for Volkov. Uh, oh, I did not preview this fight because... 
the way it was announced, it wasn't listed properly, so my apologies. But the main event from a couple of weeks ago, the fight between Nikita Krylov and Ryan Spann was rebooked for this fight night. They had a catch weight of 215 pounds. Fair enough. Uh, we got a fun little 3 minute and 38 second scramble fest. Krylov wins via triangle choke. Um, not Again, this was not like the highest level of skill, but they both got after it. And it wasn't boring, and it ended in the first round, so I'm not going to complain too much. Um, Span overcommitted throwing a punch at... Uh, again, there was a lot of wrestling scrambles here. It was a funny little, like... Um, they had some... Again, like this is a little bit sloppy on the, on the sloppy side of things, but they had some fun stuff. Uh, the finish came... Let me think. Krylov nearly had the back. Span bases up, shucks him up over the over the top, and then comes after him with a haymaker right that he misses. Well, that's not good. If you miss that punch coming into the guard, you're kind of asking for it because one of your punches, in this case again, Span's right arm winds up across his own body. Well, that's a really good position to get triangled, especially if your whole body kind of shifts with that punch and you present that side of yourself. Opposite leg comes up around the, in this case, it would be the left arm, gets over that shoulder, hooks around, donezo. Uh, decent little fight. Span fighting, I just, I'm still curious to see what he's capable of because he's been so weird. But there's there's been some flashes of good stuff from him. So, again, I'm, I'm not quite sure where, you know, how things fit with there. Uh, Krylov. Good enough win. Uh, again, this was a fun little fight for as long as it lasted. If you don't mind things a little bit sloppy. Uh, on the good side of things, bantamweight, big win here. Jonathan Martinez defeats Saeed Nurmagomedov, unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Okay, so live, I had this for Nurmagomedov. I think I gave him all three rounds. The second round in particular, I don't feel good about. I think I even said after the fact, like, yeah, I kind of know I screwed that one up. Third round could have gone either way. Um, no issues with Martinez getting this whatsoever. He fought very well. Uh, Nurmagomedov had a good first round. But as the fight wore on, between some of the kicks of Martinez and Martinez being able to just force some of these clinch positions for longer and longer periods of time, and finding, you know, just knees and elbows in the clinch, he just kind of wore down Nurmagomedov. Uh, this was a good little fight. Um, this was not fight of the night. It wasn't my fight of the night either. This was probably my second fight of the night. Um, I'm going to get to the fight of the night, and I just... Ugh. The... I hate that they went the way they did with that. Let me just put it like that. But really good stuff out of Martinez. Martinez has been good for a while. Um, and it he's been good, but it's been kind of like he has all the tools. But he hadn't always put all of them together. Uh, he's starting to put them all together. And it's really nice to watch. So... Uh, again, really solid win for him. Um, 
interesting tweets coming out of Cub Swanson about this. He just said, you know, Martinez isn't all that good. And amusingly, the immediate response from a bunch of guys was, wait a minute, when did you switch your management to Ali? Because Cub's not usually much of a trash talker. Um, so, you know, there's... <laughs> but the assumption that, you know, this was Ali Abdelaziz tweeting on behalf, you know, through his fighter's Twitter account. And I don't know, I don't think Cub's repped by Ali anyway, but... As a bit of the humor of MMA culture. Uh, good win for Martinez. Real good. Uh, also at Bantamweight, a lot of Bantamweights on this card. Mario Bautista, he ran over Guido Canetti, man. Um, both men came out kicking. Bautista hits a takedown. Canetti fights up. Big old German suplex from Bautista. Gets the back, gets the choke. Uh, that's a wrap. Again, 318 to the first. Might be time to look at Bautista getting a step up in competition. Um, oh, yeah. Martinez, after the fight, said, you know, he'd like to fight. I think he said either Dominic Cruz or Davison Figueredo. I'm down with that. Um, again, Martinez, this should get him ranked. Numagomedov was, I think, 14 coming into this. So Martinez will be due. He'll be due someone near the top 10. I mean, like. And when I say, I mean like 8 to 11, somewhere in that space. That's who he should be fighting next. Uh, Bautista, yeah, he should be he should be looking at the lower end of 15. I mean, he's on a pretty good run. Uh, yeah, not a lot there. Um, your fight of the night was a light heavyweight slop fest between Vitor Petrino and Anton, uh, Anton Turcali. Um, Petrino wins the unanimous decision, 30-26, and then two 30-27s. I I don't remember much about this fight. They both kind of gassed. Petrino gassed pretty hard faster, but had a bit more power. Turkali just kind of kept forcing clinches and grappling exchanges. And yeah, I don't have enough. Did I score this for Turkali? I don't think I did, but I might have. Um, the 10-8 for Petrino, I don't think there was ever a 10-8 round in here. Uh, this was, again, this was sloppy, this was uninteresting, but, hey, this was your fight of the night, because Dana White loves, I don't know, I don't know, I really don't know, this, they screwed, let me tell you the number of fights I would give fight of the night before this one, on this card, um, yeah, this is number four for me, actually. So, in order, my fights from this card and, and, and how I would rank them, right? Uh, Victor Henry and Tony Gravely. We, I'll get to that in a second here. Uh, ditto Davy Grant and Rafael Sal. Then Martinez and Nurmagomedov. Uh, would I then go to Petrino and Tercali? Maybe. So, again, maybe it's like fourth or fifth. I don't know. Maybe. I honestly might put Bruno Silva and Tyson Nam above it, too. But that at that point, like, that's just a little bit of me, you know? Um, point being, this is one of the times when I think they, they really missed the boat on what was your fight of the night here. Really missed it. 
Uh, anyway, that was the main card. As for the prelims, Carl Williams defeated Wukas Dreschke via unanimous decision. 230-26 is 130-27. Um, sloppy heavyweights. Both of them gassed. Just Williams able to out-wrestle Dreschke. That's kind of all there was to it. Bantamweights. This was okay, this was such a wild fight. Davy Grant defeats Rafael Asensio via technical submission, inverted triangle choke, 4:43 of the third. Asensio had won the first two rounds. Not huge, but he'd won them. Uh, third round, Grant. There's a little bit of controversy here at one point. So third round, Grant knows he needs a finish, and he's fighting like he knows that, and he actually he's got Asensio a little bit hurt. He lands a Left hand. Can't remember if it was left or right, but he clocks Austin Sal behind the ear. Hurts his balance. Austin Sal starts backing up. Grant comes after him. Austin Sal tries to take down. They scramble a little bit on the ground. Grant winds up on top briefly. Austin Sal spins. Comes up on kind of a low single. And Grant grabs the fence to stop from being taken down. The referee stops the action, deducts a point from Davy Grant for the fence grab. No issues with that for the record. The referee then resets them on the feet at distance. Instead of back with Austin Sal kind of going after the takedown. Now, the the argument here is a little bit as follows, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying that what the referee did in this case was wrong. Um, his argument was the position had not been established, right? Austin Sal is on this, again, kind of a low single leg. He's got Grant kind of on a knee slash his butt, but not really established. He's, Austin Sal is himself like down on his own knees. Like he's not in a dominant position. And because the position was not established, his thought is, the, the line here, and this is, again, the legal line, this is within the re- referee's discretion, because the position was not established, he's not going to further reward Austin Sow after the point deduction. And again, this is the referee's call based on the position, and I'm, I'm not even saying the referee's wrong, okay? Let me be very clear. Not saying it's wrong. I'm saying you could argue the other way. In fact, I think it was uh, Paul Felder on commentary as, because they reset and Davy Grant goes after him like a bat out of hell. He knows at this point, I I have to finish this guy if I'm going to win. And Paul Felder on commentary said, you know, I'd almost rather have the position back than the point. Because I could kind of, you know, slow things down and stall out. And I don't care if I lose the round, I won the other two. Uh, Grant keeps coming at him, hits him with a couple of more punches. The referee warns Austin Sal. Austin Sal kind of gives him a thumbs up. Right after that, Grant clocks him with a spinning back fist. Badly hurts Austin Sal. Austin Sal kind of comes up from belly down going for a takedown. But he goes for the double leg and kind of elevates over the top. Like, so you grab and then kind of lift. Um, and as he's going up, Grant grabs the inverted triangle, puts him to sleep with it. Very rare submission to find in MMA. Uh, and Austin South's coach, he's with Eric Nixick at the time, the head coach of Extreme Couture. Nixick was 
pissed. And again, I, I'm not even saying that the position is the 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 argument that Nick Sick is kind of making about that is I don't think it's a bad one. Like I don't think there's any grounds to overturn it given the discretion at, provided to referees and the position and everything that happened. I am saying his position is understandable and not just from an emotional one. Like you could really argue that you know what Nixick and company kind of thought should happen is what should have happened. You could argue that. Um, so that's where we are. Uh, Austin Sal retired after the fight. He's 40. It's time to, fa- uh, I saw Danny Segura tweet this out. The fact that Rafael Austin Sal never fought for a title in the UFC is a little bit, that's a pretty big blot on the organization's claim that the best fight the best. Like if you want a case study in how promotional favoritism and hype will derail very, very talented fighters who don't have those things. Austin Zhao is an unfortunate case study in that sense. Uh, I give I give credit to Grant. You know, again, he grabbed the fence to avoid being taken down. He got the point deduction. But, you know, he still came after that fight like he needed it. Um, found a really cool finish. Uh, so I'm... And I'm not bad-mouthing David Grant here. He he got a good win. <laughs> Middleweights, Josh Fremd defeats Sadiquas Dumas via guillotine choke. Three minutes of the second round. Dumas just not able to handle the wrestling from Fremd. Kind of the long and the short of that. Bantamweights, Victor Henry defeats Tony Gravely via split decision. There was a 30-27 for Henry. And then a 29-28 either way. I was 30-27 Henry, but that third round in particular... Um, so the third uh, one and three both. You know, let me say that. one and three both were a little bit swingy. Two was two was all Henry. Um, this was fun. Again, this was my fight of the night. Uh, these two guys went after it. Uh, first round. First round, again, I gave it to Henry, but first round could go either way. Uh, Gravely able to do a little bit of wrestling, a little bit better on the, on the like, visually on the connections, but Henry just dogged. More work in general. Was stabbing. Uh, he was stabbing Gravely with front kicks over and over and over again. Uh, second round. Second round is all Henry. Just pace, pressure, stabbing body work, elbows in tight relentless gravelly looks like he's breaking rallies actually you could argue gravelly's best round is the third in point of fact when he gets off some really solid punches um the activity of henry is kind of what won me over but really good fight uh henry trains with josh barnett and barnett in the second round just you know make him suffer because josh barnett is awesome uh, yeah, this was, again, this was my fight of the night. Uh, good little fight here. Both guys, solid. Solid fight. Uh, women's flyweight, Ariane Lipsky, with a much-needed and very, um, when I say a mature performance, I mean, she's demonstrated different skills, but this was the first time, I think, she's ever really kind of 
harmonized all the disparate elements of her game. She beats J.J. Aldrich. Non-controversial, unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Aldrich very rarely had anything for Lipsky in this fight. Uh, Lipsky just kept things at range. Uh, landed better punches, better combination work, avoided clinches, avoided takedowns, punished attempts with knees. Uh, solid stuff from Lipsky. Flyweight, Bruno Silva. Now, because there's more than one Bruno Silva, this is Bruno Gustavo da Silva. Um, he fights out of Fight Ready MMA. He used to be Black House. Uh, he'd been out of action for a while. Uh, his last fight before this one was May of 2021, so pretty close to two years. Um, he looked really good here. Comes back. He beats Tyson Nam via a technical submission of rear naked choke, 123 of the second. He wins the first round. Just a little bit more offense. Nam with a lot of forward pressure, but he does the thing where it's like forward pressure trying to bait you into a bad reaction to his pressure so he can counterpunch you. And Silva never quite gave him a really bad reaction uh, to the pressure. Uh, he might have had a takedown in that round, I forget. Um, but second round, he catches Tyson Nam with a front kick to the face. Drops him pretty badly. Gets on top. Uh, works from the guard for a little bit. Nam goes for a technical getup, but he's a touch too slow. Little bit off position with some of his uh, with his posting arm. Silva gets behind him, grabs the choke, gets the hooks in, puts him to sleep. Um, really a really good return to form from Silva after the time off. So really really good stuff from him. And kicking everything off at welterweight. Even though, so I'm not going to give Jared Gooden too much crap here. He missed weight pretty badly. This this was supposed to be welterweight. He weighed 177. So that's a, again that's a seven pound miss from the strict limit. That's a six pound miss from the grace pound they give you for non-title fights for some reason. Um. So he, however, he took this fight like during the fight week, right? I don't even think he was the one I previewed. I think I kind of previewed this between um, Harrison and Abubakar Nurmagomedov. So during fight week, and I'm always a little bit, you know, we'll be a little bit um, gracious under like day's circumstance. That's still a pretty bad miss. Um, Harris, better strike, a little bit better striking in the first round, but he f finds out he's the better grappler. So he just, out, gets takedowns, top position, nothing revelatory here. Um, we did lose a fight. Uh, there was a fight that was supposed to take place between Ricardo Hamosh and Austin Lingo. Now, Mr. Hamosh, I'm afraid I have to give you the honorary title of fat for this one, my man. See, they were supposed to fight at featherweight. Which is 145 pounds. Again, non-title, they'll give you 146. Mr. Hamosh weighed in at a trim lightweight weight of 154 pounds. My man, you missed by eight for the non-title weight limit. 154 is kind of what you think. Again, a 
a lightweight fighter might come in at sometimes. Dude, they they canceled the fight. Like you're that much over, they said no. Um they apparently six was all right for, you know, for uh, Harris and Gooden. But eight was just nope. Uh, I don't know what happened with his weight cut. I don't know if there was some injury or illness or whatnot, but eight pounds is, again, like that's, that's horrific. That's straight up a horrific weight miss. Has he struggled before? I mean, he's fought a bantamweight before. Right, he debuted for the UFC at bantamweight. And he returned to featherweight, yeah, in 19. I don't know, man. I I really don't know. That's... Something must have gone real... There must have been something really, really wrong. I mean, really wrong. To miss by that much. So, that was the event. Your bonuses. Again, fight of the night went to Petrino and Tercali because... Bleh. Uh, your performances went to Davy Grant and Bruno Silva. No issues with that. Um, you could have gone... I mean, Grant was getting one for that inverted triangle choke and... I mean, I'm sure the UFC gave him a little bit more because, well, they don't like Rafael Austin Sow, and retiring Austin Sow might have been enough to get Grant a little bit extra. Um, so no issues with that. You could have given one. You could have given one to Bautista. You could have given one to Krylov. You know, actually, I'm gonna take that back and throw. Throw Petrino into Carl even further into the bus. Krylov and Span, even though it was only three minutes, was a better fight than Petrino into Carly. Yeah, they, dude, they seriously missed the boat on this one. Seriously. But no issues with that. So no issues with you know who got bonuses out of this one. It's all fine and dandy. Uh, as far as the performances, not fight of the night. That was obviously atrocious. Uh, if you want to see my full report, it's in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Always appreciate that. Thank you very, very much. All right, let me talk quickly about Bellator. Because we had Bellator 292. And there's a couple of things I want to talk about coming out of this event. So let's start with the main event. I'll be brief here because, you know, Bellator. Uh, look, man, I give Bellator their props when it's due. Okay? Otherwise, I kind of joke about them because they're. T- I joke about the UFC, too, just in case you think I'm. In case you take this too seriously. Uh, main event, Usman Nurmagomedov defeats Benson Henderson. This is the one of the two quarterfinals, so opening round for the Bellator Lightweight World Grand Prix. Nurmagomedov is also the Bellator Lightweight Champion. Um, he catches Henderson with a head kick, kind of in the pretty early in the first, gets the back, gets the choke, all-time bad call from the referee, or not the referee, sorry, from the commentary team, as the choke is in, the commentary, I believe, was Big John McCarthy. He goes, no, Benson Henderson's fine here. And then, like, immediately Henderson taps. I mean, you can't satirize. Just bad call. 
Um, there's a real argument about where Usman Nurmagomedov ranks as um, the best lightweight in the world. I don't know that he's the best, but you could throw that guy in the UFC and he would he'd he'd run over a lot of people. I don't know what he'd do against Makashev or if they'd even fight because they're kind of teammates, but I don't know. But again, he's he's real good. He's real good. Uh, Benson Henderson retired after the fight, bringing to end a pretty lengthy and unfortunately forgotten great MMA career. Henderson's a former WEC champion, UFC champion, has some really impressive wins on his resume. Wins over Donald Cerrone twice, Jim Miller, Clay Guida, Frankie Edgar twice, Nate Diaz. He beat the crap out of Nate Diaz. Um, Masvidal. Uh, he, he's fought, and uh, to say nothing of some of the guys he fought, and maybe he didn't beat, but, you know, fought Pettis twice. Uh, fought Rafael Dos Anjos. Actually fought Cerrone three times. You know, um, Michael Chandler, Patricky Pitbull. Uh, he fought Chandler a couple of different times. Like, he would just fight, man. Uh, him beating Peter Queeley in Dublin uh, last year was kind of funny because Queeley's... Uh, Bellator's attachment to Queeley and the... I talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago when I mocked the reaction to Peter Quelig. But the atmosphere of his walkouts is just the best. doesn't matter that he keeps losing. Uh, I was watching live, not in the venue. I wasn't there live, but I was watching the lo- the event, the last WEC event. Uh, when he lost to Pettis, WEC 53. Um, I actually woke some people up in my house when Pettis landed the Showtime kick because it was so crazy. Um, yeah, Bendo's one of those guys that people are going to forget because he was never on the best of terms with the UFC. I mean, he was, I don't think he was ever maligned, but he was never the promotional darling. He had some fights that people, some that, look, he got the benefit of a couple of doubts. He won the first Frankie Edgar fight very cleanly, my opinion. Second one, second one could have gone either way, uh, and I mean that. Um, the Gilbert Melendez fight, a lot of people kind of thought Gilbert won. I didn't, but I can see the argument. Uh, he, again, he's just, uh, unfortunately, he's one of those guys who's going to kind of get forgotten Despite being really, really good. If you didn't watch him when he was the man, when he was at his best, you missed out on something. Uh, you, you did. His run to the title, even his run with the title, was some very impressive stuff. Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on briefly from the Bellator event, um, just because it's because I'm me. Um, Michael Venom Page defeating Guidi Yamauchi via leg kick. 26 seconds into the first round. I bring this up because they're opposite stances. Uh, Yamauchi is southpaw. Page throws an inside leg kick. And he kicks the knee of Yamauchi. 
Now, normally, you might think this is a bad thing. You don't want to kick the knee. True. However, it's an important dot, dot, dot here. I don't know how much of this was deliberate. Okay, let me start with that. The, the hardest part of that part of your leg, right? It's not actually you know, your knee in the way we think of it. It's You can feel this for yourself, by the way. If you feel your kneecap, feel down, you know, that little bit under it where there's just tendon. Then a little bit lower than that is the top of your shin bone. And I forget if that's the um, tibia or the fibula, forgive me. One of them's thicker up by the knee, one of them's thicker down by the ankle. I forget which is which. But that part, that part just kind of below the kneecap, that's the really hard part. That's the really hard part of your bone. Uh, and, or if you hit like square on the kneecap, that can be that can be hard. But this kick from Paige hits the perfect spot. It's literally just under the kneecap. And I mean just. And you might go, well, why is that perfect? Well, because it's right... Because there's the bone of your kneecap, there's the bone at the top of your shin, and right between them is a lot of soft stuff. Including, most relevant for this discussion, the patellar tendon. Or the patella tendon, I think. It's because again, your kneecap has two uh, tendons. Like funny story about your kneecap. You know you're not born with kneecaps. It's a weird thing, but it's true. Have you ever seen like babies? They don't have kneecaps. You grow them. They kind of grow as you do. Um, but your kneecap is there. It's kind of the floating bone, and then you have a tendon that connects it to your shin, and then one that connects it up to your humerus. Uh, sorry, to your femur, humerus in the arm. But you've got, so you've got that, it, it's connected there. Well, actually it wouldn't be, wouldn't technically be to the bone, it would be to the muscle. Because tendons connect muscle to bone, ligaments connect bone to bone. But sorry, that baseline anatomy question out of the way, the, the, that tendon there connects you know, to some of the muscles in your shin. The other one connects to the muscle in your quad. And Paige kicked this thing, and he kind of kicked him, again, right up above the end of the shin bone, into the tendon, under the knee, like right in there, like right under the kneecap. And he ruptured that tendon. Like, you can see this, if you're curious. And that, that tendon ruptures, the kneecap kind of spills up. And Yamauchi collapses, fights over, uh, pretty serious injury. Um, look, man, I'm one of the guys who kind of memed on my, on Page for a while. Not not because he wasn't good, not because I thought he wasn't good, but because Bellator, and I, I will stand by this, Bellator wasted a lot of his years matching him down against cans rather than trying to progress his talent. And he's capable of spectacular things. 
In fact, he's been responsible for some of the gnarlier kind of injuries you might see in the cage. I mean, he... You know, he broke the uh, broke the skull of Evangelista Santos. Then what was it he... I don't remember the other one he landed. Which one it was. Um, might have been the Derek Anderson one when he badly broke Anderson's nose. And then, like... Dude, again, we can joke about Paige being fed cans and, again... He was. His his resume is not great if you look at his level of opposition. And Bellator spent, again, a lot of time with him. He's been, like, he debuted for Bellator at, in 2013. He had one fight out of Bellator after that, then has been with Bellator exclusively since 2014. Okay? And during that time... He's fought several people who were just it was just a giant waste of time. And you know, I mean from like 15 to 16 he got some good wins but there was no progression. Uh and they again they've given him some fights that are just like again it's it's can crushing man and he's also to his credit he has fought some good guys but he's how old is he he's 35 like there was a lot there was a lot of his some of his very prime years Kind of wasted. But he is... When he's on, man, he is a terrifying, terrifying fighter. Um, is there anything else I wanted to talk about here? I don't think so. Okay, Barzola defeated Eric Perez. Dolvitsdan Yagshimuradov defeated uh, Julius Anglicus. Uh, Linton Vassal and Valentin Moldovsky? I don't care that much. I mean, there was some weirdness around the finish between Alexander Shabli and uh, Tafik Masayev. Well, the fight kind of sucked until that body kick landed, and eh, anyway. That's my that's as much time as I'm willing to devote to Bellator today, I think, so. Let's move on, and let's get to what you're all here, you're presumably the most interested in, UFC 285. Six. Good grief. 286. Sorry if I was misspeaking that earlier. All right, again, the O2 Arena, London. Main event, Leon Edwards, freshly crowned welterweight champion, takes on Kamaru Usman. Usman, the former champion. Usman, you know, that ridiculous winning streak of, you know, what was it, 19 fights overall. Hadn't lost in the UFC. How many title defenses did he have? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five title defenses. Uh, he has the second most consecutive wins in UFC history at 15. That is the longest welterweight winning streak at 15. 
just you know one of the one of the better pound for pound fighters in the world and winning the fight with Edwards they re- he had beaten Edwards earlier in their t- so now we get to their title fight he loses the first round after giving up a little position in the clinch that led to Ed uh, Edwards getting a takedown Edwards gets the back it's a lost round, but it's not that big a deal. Usman gets back to work after that. Wins rounds two, three, and four. Is winning the fifth. Edwards looks like he's done. And then Edwards finally sees an opening he's been training for. Lands the head kick. Knocks out Usman. Heck of an ending. The question that you have to ask yourself as we preview this fight is as follows. What do you think is most likely? A repeat of Edwards finding the finish or what we've seen, because if you look at their first fight, I believe uh, Usman blanked him out over three rounds. Now, Edwards, again, their first fight is not instructive from a tactical standpoint, but of the, because they were into the fifth. So of the nearly eight rounds these two gentlemen have fought, Usman has won six of them. I don't want to sound like I'm dumping on Leon Edwards. I said when they fought the first time that Edwards could win this fight. Didn't expect him to do it. I didn't pick him. Certainly didn't expect it to happen the way that it did. But I said he could win. He could win again. Well within the realm of possibility. However, if I have to prick what I think is going to happen, I think Usman, like a lot of people from that previous card, uh, from 278, I don't think Ed, um, Usman fully respected the altitude. And I think it surprised him. Look, he's a well-conditioned fighter as a general rule. But you have to be prepared for whatever altitude you're going to fight at. And if you're not, even well-conditioned athletes can fall apart a little bit if they're not dialed in. I think Usman in that fifth round, between the physical fatigue and a little bit of not wanting to... The key to... This became a meme for a while in the MMA community about coasting to victory. The key to coasting to victory is that you can't stop doing what you've been doing. That's the reality. You can't stop everything that's made you successful to this point. And there's a lot of guys that try to. That win two rounds, or win three rounds, or four rounds, and then, okay, I don't have to do anything. No. You have to keep doing everything that made you successful to this point, or bad things will happen. A lot of examples of that. And Usman's... He kept doing what he was doing for a bit, but he took his foot off the gas just a little bit. And again, fatigue, a little bit of risk aversion, I don't know. But whatever, you know, storm or whatever, you know, circumstances convened there, Edwards was prepared to take advantage of it, and he did. I just, again, I'm not saying Edwards can't win this fight. He's proven that he can. I'm saying if you have to ask me again, what do I think is most likely? I'm still, I think I'm still going to pick Usman. Um, 
I just I think he's a really tough stylistic matchup for Edwards. And he's proven that more than once. And Edwards' ability to find the finish was, again, remarkable. And I don't know how repeatable it is. Now, he found some success in the clinch. Again, first guy to take... Um, actually, the first guy to officially take down Usman was Edwards in that title fight. But, I don't know, I just... I don't want to say he got lucky, because that's way, way, way too demeaning of Leon Edwards' skill. And that's not what I mean. I don't know how repeatable his success is. I think that's the only way I can phrase that, because it's not luck. It's not a fluke. That wasn't a fluke what happened. Okay? But, again, I don't know how often that set of circumstances winds up presenting themselves to him. And, again, to Edwards' credit, other people would could have been in that same position and never found the openings that he did. So, I'm not trying to take away the man's accomplishments. He's the champion for a reason. And I will not be shocked if he wins here. I will not be shocked. But I don't know that I can pick him based on all the tape that exists between them. If that makes any sense. So I'm going with Usman, but it's a good enough fight. You know, their first their first title fight was fine. It's the finish was very, very memorable. The fight itself was okay. I expect we'll get something kind of similar here. Um Yeah, I that said, man, hang on. Usman's 35. He's been fighting, what, almost over 10 years. He's got a decade of fighting under his belt. You know, to say nothing of all of his wrestling. Got 22 fights, you know. Even if Usman wins here, and I kind of think he will, I don't know how much longer he's going to have that belt. Like, he might... There's a couple of guys at welterweight, man. Shavkat Rachmanov may be the most notable, but there's some guys that are going to wind up giving him a mountain of trouble sooner rather than later. And ditto Edwards. I mean, if Edwards wins and you know, retains, uh, he's got he's got a lot of guys that are going to be coming after him. Uh, some of them very very talented. So, not the good not a good time to be the king at welterweight. There are some hungry barbarians at those gates. Uh, co-main event lightweight. This just hook into my veins. Justin Gaethje and Rafael Fiziev. Uh, look, Gaethje is, when I say Gaethje is like one of my favorite fighters, I don't mean that he, you know, does the most interesting things technically. Uh, I just like watching the man fight. Uh, he's coming off of uh, that his second title fight loss when he got submitted by Charles Oliveira. Um... 
And you got Fazeev, who is one of the more technical strikers, we're just talking striking, in that division. And he's on a good winning streak. He lost his UFC debut, but he's undefeated since. Like, that's his only loss, that spinning back kick uh, to Magomed Mustafaev. He's knocked out three of his last four wins. Uh, last two have been stoppages over Brad Riddell and then Rafael Dos Anjos. He was having a little bit of trouble in that RDA fight, though, before that finish in the fifth. I mean, I say a little bit. It was a competitive fight. Um, these two are going to get after it. I mean, Gaethje always gets after it. He just can't fight any other way. Ah... Uh, Emotionally, I'm kind of rooting for Gagey, but hmm. I think the way he fights leaves enough openings for a solid technical fighter like Fazeev to give him a fair number of problems. So I, I think I'm going to pick Fazeev here, but I'm just looking forward to that fight, man. That's one that I don't really, I say I don't really care who wins and loses. I mean, that's true for most fights. Like, I, I don't really care. I just... Yes, give me that fight. <laughs> of all the fights on the card that I want nothing to happen to, this one. We must protect this fight at all costs. That'll be bonkers. All right, welterweights up next. Gunnar Nelson and Brian Barberina. Nelson, remember when he had momentum? It was, uh, how long ago was it that he had momentum? Let's see. He had a lot coming into the his first loss was 2014 when he lost to Rick Story. He rebounded okay, lost to Maya in 15. He, he gained a little bit more in 16 and 17 before he got stopped pretty badly by Santiago Ponzinibbio. That was it. That was the death of uh, Gunnar Nelson's hype was 17. Like again, between the up and downs before that and then Ponzinibbio just putting his lights out in 80 seconds. I mean, he beat Alex Oliveira, but he was off for over a year before that. Uh, fights in 19 twice, loses twice to Leon Edwards and Gilbert Burns. Takes from September of 19 to March of 2022 off, and he gets kind of a gimme win when he comes back against Takashi Sato. And I don't know, I'm not here to knock Sato, but the dude. He had two wins in the UFC going into that fight. I mean, it was a soft touch. Um, he's fighting Brian Barberina. And... Uh, Barberina's stepping in on, what, short notice here? Slightly short notice? Uh, let's see. Yeah, slightly. A few weeks. Uh, Barberina lost to Rafael Dos Andres his last time out. He was on a three-fight winning streak before that. Um. This is actually tough, because Gunnar Nelson is... Again, I think he's a little past it. But his skill set versus Barbarina in particular might still match up in such a way that he wins. I think I'm just going to pick Barbarina, though. 
probably a silly pick, but eh, I've made them in the past. Women's flyweight Jennifer Maya and Casey O'Neill. Pretty big step up for Casey O'Neill here, who is undefeated. 9-0, four wins in the UFC. Uh, Maya, you know, former title challenger. Had a little bit of a rough go of it lately. And she beat Jessica I. Insert your own jokes. Lost to Caitlin Chukagian and Manon Fior, two of the top of the division. Beat Marina Morosa last time out. I'm going to pick Maya here. That's not a knock on Casey O'Neill, who is a very talented fighter. But she kind of needs to be grappling, and she kind of needs to be on top. And she might get that against Maya. Wouldn't surprise me. If if she wins, I will not be shocked. But, I don't know, I... This feels like one of those times when a young, talented fighter takes a step up and steps a little too far. I think Maya might just be a little too far for her at this moment. Could be wrong, but that's kind of my hunch. Then at middleweight, Marvin Vittori and Roman Delidze. Uh Vittori coming off of that, and Robert Whitaker beat him up. Um, he's only lost to Whitaker, Adesanya. In the UFC, like, he had the weird loss to Shoeface, Antonio Carlos Jr., but it's tough to beat Marvin Vittori. Uh, Delidze is, I believe, unbeaten. At, no, he lost his middleweight debut. But 4-0 since then with some nice finishes in his last three. I mean, he stopped Jack Hermanson his last time out. That's not easy to do. Um, is a step up for Delidze a little bit? You know what? I'm actually thinking I'm going to go with Delidze here. Again, might be very, very wrong. Uh, Vittori's tough. He's bullheaded. I mean, that is a compliment. But a little bit of a kind of punch into the clinch, get takedowns kind of guy, and I don't know how successful that's going to be against Delidze. Uh, as for the prelims, featherweights, Jack Shore and Makwan Amir Khani. Um, Jack Shore coming off of his first professional loss that was July of last year. However, he's quite good. Uh, whereas Makwan Amir Khani, he got stopped by Jonathan Pierce his last time out. He is, what, one and four in his last five? Yeah, I, I'm i going to pick Shore here without too much hesitation. Lightweight, Chris Duncan and Omar Morales. This feels like a um, little bit of a try-to-get-well fight for Morales. He had some... He's three and three in the UFC. Um, had a tough fight his last time out, but... And I feel like they're trying... I don't know. Let me check Chris Duncan here real fast. And figure out what's up with him. Mr. Duncan is Scottish. Nine and one. Uh, one and one in the Contender Series. So UFC debut. You know what? Ah... I think I'm going to change my mind here. I actually think they might be trying to give uh, Duncan a slightly softer touch. 
the Dana does like the guys that come off the Contender Series a little bit, so... Yeah, I, I think maybe that's what they're doing. So, going with Duncan, wouldn't bet on it. Uh, let's see. Also lightweight. Sam Patterson and Yana Lashmaz. Gentlemen. Uh, Ashmaz is 6-0. Uh, yeah, has a win in the PFL. Patterson, 10-1-1. Won a Contender Series fight. Hasn't lost since his second professional fight. Pretty good setup. Probably Patterson. Uh, let's see. Oh, Mohamed Makayev might actually land a significant strike. Um, I mean, he's undefeated, 9-0-1. Uh, has a couple of submission wins in the UFC. I said this before about him. Like, My gripe with him isn't that he's bad. He's not bad. But <laughs> he doesn't do a lot. He does a lot of wrestling, not a lot of activity. And he really needs to start finding ways to put damage on guys. And that's that again. I said this last time when I talked about this. He's 22. He's got 10 professional fights. Like, there's time here to fix this, but these are the holes that need to start being filled in. He's fighting uh, Rafael Filo. Jafael? Brazilian. Yeah, uh, so Jafel. Excuse me. Looking at a weird... Ver uh, Filo is... Decent enough winning streak, five in a row. I mean, I'm still going to pick Mikhaev, but he's got to sort some of that stuff out. Um, again, he's got to start filling in some of those gaps. On the early prelims, featherweight Lerone Murphy and Gabriel Santos. Uh, Mr. Murphy has a draw with Zubaira Tukhugov. Undefeated overall. Knocked out Mach 1 on your Kane. I remember that. Been a while, though. That was October of 21. Uh, he withdrew from a fight with Nate Landwehr last year. Uh, seems to be, yeah... So it seems to be whatever caused him to pull out of that is what's kind of kept him on the shelf for a bit. Uh, Gabriel Santos, 10-0. and A uh, couple of fights in the LFA. I'm probably going to go with Murphy. Um, he's looked pretty solid. Uh, now Santos might have something for him, but... You know, Murphy's surprised me a couple of times. Middleweight, Christian Leroy Duncan, not to be confused with Chris Duncan, will fight Dushko Todorovic. Um, this Duncan is 7-0. and eh, Pretty young. In the career. How old is he, actually? 27, so, you know, youngish. Uh, Todorovic, 12-3, but he's had some... 
Three and three in the UFC. Coming off a win, though. Might get his first UFC winning streak. Uh, let's see, because that was... Win, loss, loss, win, loss. Sorry, win, loss, loss. Win, loss, loss, win, loss, win. So, yeah, three and three. If I can count. Huh. I might lean to Dorovich here, but he's got some problems. Uh, he's got some pretty serious defensive liabilities that Duncan might be able to just punish. Wouldn't bet on it, but I'll, I'll pick Todorovic. Flyweights, Malcolm Gordon and Jake Hadley. I don't know that I can pick Gordon at this point. Um, I mean, he's had some decent wins. He's 2-3 and three in the UFC. But some telling losses. Uh, Hadley, not his first UFC fight. He is, well, yeah, he's one and one. Coming off a win. Yeah, I'll pick Hadley, but I don't know. I'm a little bit less certain. <sighs> Gordon's one of those guys I just don't think I picked to win. I mean, that's not to say he can't ever win, but I don't think I ever pick him. Uh, women's flyweight, Joanne Wood and Luana Carolina. Um, Wood needs a win pretty badly on a three-fight losing streak. I mean, I thought she won the Lauren Murphy fight, but Santos and Grasso both submitted her. Uh, Carolina. I just don't think Carolina's that good. Yeah, going with Wood. Then we've got lightweight Jai Herbert and Ludovic Klein. Mr. Herbert, two and three in the UFC. Uh, he's got some... Dude, his first two fights were rough, man. You debut against Francisco Tonaldo and then fought th follow that up with Renato Moicano. That's rough. Beat Commonworthy, lost to Ilya... Dude, his, only, his loss is in the UFC again. He's got three of them, and that's nothing to sneeze at. But Trinaldo, Moicano, and Ilya Teporia... Like, that's, uh, that's a certain level of opposition, you know? Uh, Klein, 3-2 and two in the UFC. Won his last two. Uh, undefeated at lightweight? I have to double check that. So he's mostly been featherweight. Yeah, he's undefeated. I think he's only like 3-0 and at lightweight, but undefeated in that division. Probably going to pick Herbert here, but uh, that's a, you know, that's a sneaky good fight. I'm just going to say, that's a sneaky good fight. Klein and Herbert are both going to get after it. Then kicking everything off, we have Juliana Miller. This is women's flyweight again. And Veronica Macedo. Um, Miller is 3-1, and one. won her UFC debut uh, last year, and 
Veronica Macedo is 6-4-1. She is from Venezuela. Has a 1-4 UFC record. Yeah, they're kind of setting Miller up here. Uh, is this Macedo cutting down to flyweight for the first time in a... Ever? Can't be ever. Double check Macedo here. Yeah, she's fought at flyweight before. Once. Uh, she lost to Andrea Lee at flyweight. Um, yeah, she needs a win pretty badly, but I it, I think they're setting Miller up a little bit here to get a win, so. I'll pick Miller. That is the event. All right. So, Saturday, UFC on ESPN. Uh, sorry, UFC 286. I will be in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com covering it, so stop by. If you are so inclined, always appreciate that. Okay. Um, news? I don't know that there's any... I mean, there's still no timeline for actually the Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler fight. The Somebody asked Dana White about it, and we still don't have a date for that. So who knows? Connor's still not in the USADA testing pool would be my bet. I mean, they can just wave that anyway and probably will, but... Uh, let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy has happened in the MMA space, and if not, we'll just do plugs and get out of here. All right, nope, nothing uh, MMA-related on Twitter, so plugs. The usual spate of professional wrestling coverage this week. That's AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, WWE SmackDown on Friday. I think at the moment MLW is just has underground on reels, which is like Tuesday, and I can't cover it, so Jeremy Thomas is doing that, and God bless him. Um, but I'm, so until they, until things, you know, change for them or whatnot, I'm not covering MLW at the moment. Kind of a shame, I tend to enjoy their product, at least a little bit. But be on the lookout for my professional wrestling stuff. Um, movies. There's a Damn You Hollywood this Tuesday for Scream 6. That's going to be, Mark is absent. Mark is enjoying some vacation time. And Scream will be myself, Alexis Haina, and Jason Teasley. So... Going to be another one on that? I'm not sure. At a minimum, the three of us, and then we'll see if there was another one coming in or not. Uh, anything else? Me this week. No, next week will be Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Sure. Uh, not terribly excited about that one. But I will watch it and review it. That'll be something, I guess. That's right, so after Scream. And then, yeah, UFC 286 on Saturday. So, with all that out of the way, we'll be back here next week to review UFC 286. And... Yeah, we will preview UFC on ESPN 43. Looking forward to this one. Mm, Marlon Vera and Corey Sandhagen. I can't wait for Vera to be outstruck numerically every round and then find something late. Uh, I I joke, but I'm genuinely excited for that fight. How does that card look? Yeah. Okay, not great. Yeah, the rest is... Uh, Yeah, the rest isn't great. Uh. 
Yeah, you'll throw Alex Caceres and Nate Landry on the main card and bury Manel Kopp and Alex Perez on the prelims. You suck. Got it? You, dude, your co-main event is Holly Holm and Yana Kunitskaya. Isn't that a rematch? And I'm going to double-check that. They not fought. It feels like a rematch, doesn't it? Let's see. No, they haven't fought, I guess. Alrighty. I mean, Holly's been out for a while. Yeah, that's your co-main, so... Um, Caceres and Landwehr, Andrea Lee and Macy Barber, Chidi and Jaquani. Yeah, there's not a lot here, guys. That is a great main event. And I mean, that is a great main event. Does not have a strong supporting cast. <laughs> All right, full preview next week. Hope you'll be back here. Until then, thank you as always. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.